Welcome to the final project for magic and witchcraft in British literature by Liz Stang and Sierra Sullivan. This is part one of three. Okay. This is episode number one of Liz and Sierra's three-part trilogy of fun in witchcraft. All right, we're going to be discussing on this episode, the silver chair. So first off, just kind of an outline of events in this podcast. We have magic slash important overall notes, which we will talk about liminality, Aslan as a powerful and magical being, age specifications to get into Narnia, and all that fun stuff. And then we'll also be talking about gender. This will be fun. We're going to talk about the White Queen, how women have no magic or use their magic for evil. And then we're going to talk about Jill and how men only have good magic. Okay. So liminality in this. I know this was one we talked a lot about. Sierra and I were both in the in-class portion on this day for sure. And we discussed what liminal spaces are. So do you kind of want to define that, Sierra? Yeah, of course. Um, So basically, liminal spaces are spaces that are like between areas. They're not a specific place. Um, So for like a perfect example, if you were on a car ride, your liminal space would be driving there. Because it's not your destination and it's not where you started. Exactly. So then we talked about a few different examples in the story specifically, which are basically Narnia as a whole is a giant liminal space. Like we have no clue where they actually are. But even in Narnia, down by the drinking pond um, is very liminal because then she is carried towards or farther into Narnia. It's almost like she flies on Aslan, which is also another liminal space um, as she travels from one specific portion of the nation to another. Yes, uh, liminality is really important in the story, and it's brought up time and time again, especially towards the beginning. I feel like a lot of places are liminal, and especially the one that I always think about is Aslan's breath as she's riding across it, because we just get to hear about everything that she's feeling. It's a lot of sensory base, which is really important when talking about liminality, because like I said, it's not your destination. It's not where you're trying to go. It's just kind of the journey getting there. Yes. So hopping off of that, we have Aslan as a powerful and magical being. I feel like this is one of the few stories that we have that incorporates animals as magic. And I thought that was really, really neat. I almost see Aslan as a fairy creature um, because he does take on a lot of humanistic qualities. But in that same element, he is not human. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I feel like it's really important that you brought up that he is one of our only magical creatures that's an animal. Um, Because, you know, we do have uh, animals like uh, cats and stuff when talking about like witches, but he is his own magical being. He controls his own magic. He is not anybody's pet. He's just Aslan. And it's also important because he is just all ruling when it comes to Narnia, which is something that we really haven't seen as an animal ruling over an area. Yeah, and not even that, but a good magical person that is ruling over everywhere. I mean, taking it back to um, Sir Gawain, which we both did our midterm projects over, you know, we have we have the knight, 
who presides over his manor and uses um, magic and it's sort of perceived as evil at least that's kind of the perception I got as it was yeah it's not exactly good um, a lot of it is seen as like a trickster type figure you know what I mean yes it's not seen as using magic specifically for the betterment of your people yeah so now we have Aslan and he is you know using his power to um, get Jill and Edmund to embark on this journey to better save the prince right so I mean exactly. he is using his power for the bettering but he's also allowing the children to grow and keeping them safe within his powerful realm exactly and you know I feel like Aslan wouldn't send them on this trip if he knew that it wasn't going to end up well and yes so, uh, I see him as a very good character we talked a lot about how he may represent Jesus and so I think it's very interesting to have him as a character especially him represented as an animal yeah, and, and bringing up Jesus, I mean, I guess I don't remember if we talked about this specifically in class, but a lot of animals in our novels portray the devil. Yes. Like, looking back now, so, I mean, having Aslan be portraying Jesus, that really throws a wrench in the plan of what do animals really represent in a magical tale altogether. Exactly, and I feel like a lot of times animals tend to be uh, – well, like I said, controlled, like Aslan is his own person. I guess he's not a person. He's his own animal. He rules over everybody else. He doesn't have anybody with some higher power controlling him, which seems to be a lot of the cases, especially when we're talking about like evil animals in different stories. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. All right. Should we move on to age specifications? Yes. Which I think is interesting, not to stay on Aslan for a whole lot longer, but Aslan seems to be ageless. Yes. Um, I don't know if you've read all the Narnia books, but I have. I have not. Uh, it's okay if you spoil them. It'll be, it'll be okay. But this seems to be a common theme throughout, you know what I mean? Because as we talked about in class, eventually, I'm not going to completely spoil, but eventually some of the children from the original book aren't able to come back because they are too old and like I said age specification seems to be a common theme throughout the entire series yeah but. um even as their grandfather I I've seen the first movie so I'm you know the the older fellow I'm not sure if he's actually their grandfather but he you know he kind of gives off like he's been there before but his old age won't allow him to so he kind of allows the kids to go he knows that they're going to be safe and I've also seen a couple other movies where they are older, you know, in Narnia, but they come back as youth. So I think that's a really interesting aspect as well as how Narnia is then a liminal space, both with age as with power. I mean, the kids can go there and spend so much time, but they come back and it's maybe been an hour. Exactly, which is super interesting. Like I said, liminality in this book and even as in the book series as a whole is extremely important and I'm glad that you brought up their liminal age because I feel like that's just crazy because they feel like they can spend months years in there and no time has passed by and yeah so I feel like that's really important to the magic of Narnia as a whole yeah definitely so do we want to move on to gender now we are about halfway through all right I'm ready to talk about gender yay so the white queen Oh, 
on time uh, of course uh this is seems to be a common theme not just in narnia but in books as a whole as mm-hmm. we were reading definitely the books we read towards the end t- tend to tell a different tale but in our beginning books it seems that women who have magic had to be evil like yes. women with power were evil and that mm-hmm. was that you know what i mean there's no alternative like they're specifically meant to be evil well, and even as a, you know, a young adult novel of probably our time, the Divergent series. Yes. <laughs> I mean, she is seen as different. It's not necessarily a power, but I mean, she has that so-called power to get out of the test. Like, that's exactly evil. Um, You know, women with power are just seen as bad for, I mean, in the Divergent series, it's a little bit different because she's bad for them. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like, in yeah. our eyes, we're like, oh my gosh, we love Tris. But, uh, you know, that's something that's really, really common is people not liking women having power, which is very, very common even today. And so I feel like it's interesting that both the White Queen and, uh, sorry, (laughs) our main uh, antagonist both are seen as evil. And so I feel like that is just very telling about how they feel about women in power yeah and then you know at the same time we have this role of jill and she's like complete opposite but at you know her it's her feminine and innocence that are shown to be good and shown to be this charismatic portion of ultimate power and grace you know yes i feel like that is so important that you know women that are seen as good don't have magic and are seen as feminine and graceful and there's a part of the book I don't have my book with me but there's a part of the book where she talks about turning her femininity off when she has to do something powerful which I think speaks greatly to how people viewed femininity at that time Mm -hmm. that you couldn't be both feminine and powerful Mm -hmm. I mean even today we have I don't know if you've seen the guy that goes around with the microphone and he asks people questions yep but he asks a woman, you know, can a woman be president? And she says, no. And he goes, well, well, actually, the law says a woman can. And she's like, well, they just can't, you know, they can't handle their emotions that way and all this great stuff. And I mean, it's crazy to me how times haven't changed as much as they have, you know? Yes. And I feel like that's something people forget about is that, you know, there are still people who view women as lesser and mm-hmm stories like this or how women are viewed in stories like this are very important to pushing that narrative that femininity is a sign of uh well being lesser you know Mm -hmm. uh that you can't do as much and that you're not meant to be in power and so you know there are plenty of great things uh for example harry styles in a dress (laughs) that are pushing that femininity is a good thing and shouldn't be embraced and you know what i mean that toxic masculinity does exist, but you know, there are plenty of people who still view femininity as a bad thing. Exactly. And, and I saw a tweet the other day, you know, wear a mask, not a bra, protect the city, free the titty. Absolutely. I love it. I mean, I'm, I'm all for it and it's really troublesome. I mean, with our D1 football player, people were asking her to get pummeled because she was, she was playing as a D1 athlete. I mean, really? Exactly. Yeah, I saw so many tweets about that, which 
for women, that was something extremely powerful to have a yes. woman in D1 football. Like that was extremely powerful for us, but there are still people who feel as though we should be very separated, but the lines aren't as black and white as people like them to be. No. And I mean, I think that's a really great parallel back to Narnia is that, you know, there are certain roles and certain people can fill them. You know, it didn't have to be a woman queen. You know, it could have been an evil king. But Jill had to be innocent and feminine to be good. Exactly. There's such a powerful contrast in how, you know, feminine is so terrible. But at the same time, oh, if it's the soft sort of femininity, if it's the sweet, innocent, you know, goo goo gaga, pedophilic people preying on, then it's fine. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like it's really important to bring up once again, how she says that she can turn off her femininity because Mm -hmm. that just shows that a lot of this is just an act. You know what I mean? Like that's not how she truly is, but she knows in society that's how she needs to be, which like I said, speaks a lot about the time. Yes, 100%. Okay. Do we want to talk about men really quick? Yes, of course. Men, again, uh, Aslan is a perfect example. Men have good magic. They're all so good. Yes, man, no evil. (laughs) Man, no evil, unless we're dressed. Yes. (laughs) Then all of a sudden, they are evil, horrible, disgusting. No. So terrible. And this isn't a bash on, there should be both good men and women magical characters. Like, that is not the point. But the point is that there isn't evil men. Like, presented throughout this this story, I'm going to say specifically in this book, there is no presented evil men. The yes, men are good women bad. <laughs> I mean, the bullies at the beginning that were bullying Jill were probably the closest thing to an evil figure that we saw as male. Exactly, but you know, it's not even like uh that was like the main plot line and mm-hmm. something to bring up is when we were talking about the school, it seems very apparent that the author thinks that uh, boys and girls should not go to the same school. Yes. Which I feel like it's just another point of uh, bringing up, you know, that women are less powerful and can't defend themselves. And so, of course, Jill goes to a school with boy, both boys and girls and she has boy bullies. Right. Like, there are so many defining moments of gender in this novel. And I feel like we really touched on several of the main ones. Exactly. Yeah. I feel like gender and liminality are super important and need to be talked about definitely well thank you for your conversation miss sierra um this does conclude episode number one stay tuned what are we talking about next we are talking about the witch of edmonton all right all right all right i'll see you in a few